Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. So, uh, I know last week I said that we uh, had uh, part of our, our hope from the teaching team for this Advent series was to have someone share a story that went with the theme of the week every week of Advent. And the theme for this week is joy. And uh, if you were here last week, you saw David Alexi just share a, really a, a touching story about him experiencing God's love. And he even got a little emotional and teared up during it. And, and I said, man, you've really, you've really shot me in the foot because no one's going to want to sign up to follow that act. And I was right. Is James among the prophets? Yes, he is. Uh, so we don't have a story for you today, but I thought that maybe instead of a story, we could all take an online quiz together. Does anyone like to take online spam quizzes? Yeah. So this is a quiz on uh, joy. So no story about joy, just a quiz. And uh, go ahead. Let's play the quiz. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. So you got to fill in the blank. When the cares of my blank are many, your consolations cheer my soul. All right. I hear heart. Anyone thinking we're wrong about that? All right, let's try heart. Let's see how it goes. One for one. for one. Way to go. Clap your hands blank. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Clap your hands. All peoples? All peoples? All right, let's try it. Yes, two for two. All right, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the blank of the wicked will perish. Deeds of the evil. Deeds. Do we want to go with deeds? All right, deeds. Let's see it. Oh, expectations. Oh, no. This isn't on a live stream, is it? It is? Oh, no. All right. Though you have not seen him, you blank him. Though you do not know him, now see him. Oh, that's a lot. All right. Anyhow, we got that part. All right. Though you have not seen him, you... Oh, it's really, do we need to, we need to go to a vote? Let's, uh, let's say it's between no and love. Which one do you guys think? Uh, we're going with no. We're going to go with no. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. For the record, for the record, I got 100% on this this week. The second time I took it, the second time I took it, I got 100%. Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of blank, you may abound in hope. Power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I think that sounds pretty good to me. Yes. All right. We still got 10 questions to go. I'll pick it up. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yeah, we know that one. All right. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the blank of Israel. The leaders of Israel? The peoples of The Holy One? Really? You guys think so? All right. All right. Oh, I thought it would be the leaders for sure. And the blank of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Ransomed. I like that. The ransomed of the Lord. Pretty sure that's a version we're not reading today. Uh, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a moment, 
His favor is for a few. His favor is for... It's not in there. It's not, forever is not in there. What do we want? We want a, a moment? Life? Yeah, I think life is a pretty good bet there. All right. The kingdom of God is not a matter of sadness. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of spending money. All right, eating and drinking. Let's go with eating and drinking. All right. Okay, rejoice in hope. Be patient in blank. Be constant in prayer. Tribulation. All right, look at us. This is the blank the Lord has made. This is the way. All right, behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not... Let's go despise. All right. We've got two questions to go. You will show me blank. Let's go with path of life. Yes. I will greatly just Lord. Garments of salvation. Salvation. Quick. Oh, no. Oh, how did we do? Close the ad. Close the ad. There's an X up there. How did we do? Albert Einstein called. He wants his brain back. Yes. Yes. Best church ever. Good job, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause. 80%. That's pretty good for a first time. I think that's about where I was my first time taking it. Um, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever experienced this, but I think part of the way that we tend to look at the Bible in our culture is that we would read a handful of verses like that, and now we understand joy, right? And granted, I don't think joy was one of the fill-in-the-blanks on any of those, but all the verses were talking about, to, in some element, joy. And I think sometimes just because of the way that we think about information and we think about knowledge, uh, we can tend to think, I go to the Scripture, I read some verses about a subject, and then I come away, and now I understand the subject, um, I know for me, growing up as a Christian, one of the first things that you're taught about joy is that it's not an emotion, right? Joy is not an emotion. And, okay, well, if joy isn't an emotion, I mean, it sure feels like an emotion. If it's not an emotion, then what is it? About a year ago, I came across a definition of joy that changed the way that I relate to God and changed the way I relate to others in probably one of the more profound ways of anything I've experienced in the last uh, I don't know, 10 years of my adulthood. Um, this happened a little over a year ago when I was on a sabbatical. And I was uh, meeting with a counselor, and he recommended this book. And this new definition of joy was offered to me. So in this book, it's called The Other Half of Church. Uh, a group of us did a book study on it last year. But anyhow, this social scientist, Jim Wilder, and this pastor, Mike Hendricks, who write the book together, they discussed the work of a brain researcher named Dr. Alan Shore, and there's going to be another test later on all these names and everything, but anyhow, uh, this Dr. Alan Shore was making an attempt to clear up the understanding of how our brains work, particularly when it comes to brain development and attachment that children develop to uh, their parents, uh, loving attachments. Um, in this work, Dr. Shore comes to uh, a definition of joy that he says, uh, joy is, is what we feel when we know that someone is glad to be with me. 
or it's the sparkle that we see in someone else's eye. Eventually, the authors of the book, building on his work, come away with a definition that says joy is what we feel or it's what we experience when we see on another person's face that they are delighted to be with us. And this definition is so different than anything else I'd ever heard about joy, but one of the things that I really liked about it is that it acknowledges that joy is something that we feel or something that we experience. I think regardless of whatever words you're trying to use to define joy, you know what it is when you, when you feel it. And you know when you feel it, you go, yeah, this is why people say it's not an emotion, because it's so much richer and so much deeper than, uh, like, happiness. I mean, I'm happy when my team wins a close basketball game. I have joy in my heart when I look at the face of my newborn child. There's something different there. There's something deeper there. Another thing I really like about this definition is, is it's a relational definition. You know, as a, as a pastor, as a theologian, as a Christian, I believe that there is a triune God who is defined as love in Scripture, and this God exists in three persons. And that whole idea can be pretty confusing to people who are like, well, what do you mean that God is one and there's three persons? But this is because there's a powerful relationship at work here. There's a principle of unity in that relationship that is maybe in some ways a little bit incomprehensible. I think as human beings, we maybe just scratch the surface of understanding the power of this relational triune God. But because I believe that a relational triune God created a universe, and because I believe we were created in his image, I really believe that relational principles are probably some of the most important principles and the best paradigm we can have for understanding how we were created to live, how human beings are meant to experience life, and also how human beings are meant to uh, to overcome and address problems, like relational solutions, relational experiences. Uh, this, is, this is a far more plausible explanation for what's going on than maybe some of the alternative ways of thinking about things. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is that human beings are by far the, the one species on the planet who are the most reliant on other people for their survival. If you think about it, a human baby takes anywhere between 2 to 25 years to be able to survive on its own, depending on which babies you're talking about. But it's so crazy. I mean, there's animals that, you know, they're born and and they're they're like suddenly running around in no time and like, you know, my kids each took like a year or more to be able to walk. And then some of them took three or four years to be able to talk. And and these time frames are, you know, the potty training. I mean, come on. Three years to figure this out? Come on, buddy. You can do better than that. I mean, compare us to the African killifish that that is born, and in just two weeks, it's fully grown and ready to make more killifish. Fourteen days. Isn't that remarkable? But when you consider the fact that it takes human beings so long to be able to just survive, to just make it to tomorrow on their own, I think you can begin to consider the fact that maybe we weren't meant to be alone. Maybe it's not good for humanity to be alone. 
So this definition of joy, that joy is what we feel when we see on the face of another that they're delighted to be with us, has been an especially effective way for me to feel connected to God. When I'm going to God now, with this new, armed with this new definition, I'm looking for something a little bit different than what I was looking for before when I was going to God. Or even I'm anticipating something a little bit different than what I was anticipating before. In the book of Numbers, God is speaking to Moses about how to organize this brand new nation that's been started. God has visited his people who've been in slavery for 400 years. He sent them a deliverer, Moses. Incidentally, uh, this whole idea of 400 years is a repeating theme throughout Scripture. Uh, We have four weeks of Advent that are meant to remind us of these 400 years. The idea that people are waiting for something. There's 400 years between the last prophet who speaks in the Old Testament and the birth of Christ in the New Testament. We have 400 years of slavery. We have 40 years in the wilderness. So we have four weeks of Advent. And this is all meant to remind people that you have to wait for a fullness of time for God to uh, to show up and to deliver and, and to set all things right. Anyhow, God founds this brand new nation, and he's instructing Moses in the book of Numbers about how to set this nation up, and particularly how to organize this nation's devotional life and religious life, how they relate to God. And, and God commands Moses to install priests. His, Moses' brother Aaron is going to be the first priest, and then Aaron's sons are going to be the priests who will serve after him. And they're all from the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Levi is going to kind of be the larger network of these religious workers in society. And God says, I want you to appoint these priests as, as representatives who are going to stand in the place of worship. They represent God. They represent a connection between God and his people. They, they give you a uh, a representative of God that you can see and talk to. And, and he says, and I want these priests to bless the people. From time to time, these priests need to bless the people. And these are the specific words. I'm going to tell you how I want these priests to bless the people. It's here in, uh, well, it's verse 22 of a certain chapter of Deuteronomy, but I'd have to go back to find it. So uh, just listen along. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. I want you to say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so in blessing them in this way, they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is, this is the blessing that God commands. What does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed means to be with God, to live with God, to enjoy his provision in your life. As the priests are saying, to bless, are commanded to bless the people, these are the words they use to bless him, that the people would see God's face shining upon them. They would see God's face turn toward them. And that somehow in blessing him, them in this way, the priests are going to be putting God's name on the people. When the Hebrew Scriptures talk about the name of God or the name of somebody, it, it's meant to, to uh, be a way of describing the essence of that person, the core identity of who that person is. And he says, will you bless the people in this way? Say, may God's face shine upon you. May his face turn towards you. It's like you're dressing the people. 
in the very essence, the very presence of God. He is going to be there in their midst among them, and that's living the blessed life. God present in his creation. So we think about what God's face is, is shining with, this idea of a face that's lit up and happy and, and excited to be with him, delighting on being with him. And this is now what our idea of what it means to live the blessed life, to have God in the midst of the nation, delighting in being in their midst. And we know when the prophets of the Old Testament are trying to communicate with the nation of Israel what God is all about when he's painting a picture of the end destination, it's that God would dwell with them in their midst. They're no longer going to need a temple. They're no longer going to need priests. He's going to be right there with them. They're no longer going to need the light of the sun or the moon because God in their midst is going to be their light. When we think about what God is doing in this world, and we believe in a God who is restoring creation, who's restoring humanity to, the, to how we were created to live. He's, he's restoring things to the way that they were meant to be. And he's using Moses and the law and the priesthood as a part of that process. And, and he's, he's, uh, he's pointing this whole thing toward what is it, what's the destination? It's going to be God in their midst, delighted to be with them. The question is, would that be enough? Would that be enough for a nation? Would that be enough for, uh, for a world? God to be in their midst, delighted to be with them. I don't know if you've ever had moments where you just thought in your soul, wow, this is enough. But I really think if we could if we could experience God's presence in that way, it would totally be enough. I think it would be enough because I've had moments like that just when someone else's face is smiling and delighted to be with me. Uh, last week, uh, many of you maybe know Hilo Lemire. He's I think he's about two. And, uh, and church is over, and he's getting ready to, to run out, and Amber was saying bye to somebody, his mother. And, and so I catch up with Hilo by the front door, and I'm like, hi, Hilo, how are you? And I sit down on the step, and I start talking to him, and he looks at me, and his face explodes with joy. And he's telling me how great his week was, and how he and his mom are going to go and find some coffee. And I was like, that's that's." fair because the coffee was really bad last week. Sorry, that's on me. Um, and I'm looking in the face of this kid and he and I are just having a moment. And if you've ever engaged with a small child, you've maybe felt this where they're excited to see you. They're enthusiastic about life. And that enthusiasm and the innocence of the place that they're at, it's almost like it infects your own soul with a similar state. And for just a second, for a short conversation before his mom whisks him away and away they go. Um, it's like nothing else really matters. I've forgotten about what I thought could have gone better in church. I've forgotten about whatever pressure is coming up in my week. I've forgotten about, you know, all of my problems. And I'm just, it's just enough to be there with somebody and to be enjoying one another's company. And I think if we can find that kind of joy in an interaction with another human being who's two years old, I really think that in a moment where we can engage the creator of the universe in that way, that somehow we'll be okay. 
somehow whatever our soul has been lacking, whatever we feel like isn't blessed, we'll be able to sit and say, yeah, in this moment, I am truly blessed. My heart is full. And maybe it's just for a moment, but for a moment, I don't need anything. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking about the difficulties um, and the oppression experienced by people living in a dark and fallen world. And he offers them this message of hope to the Corinthians. He's claiming to them that Christ has come and he's disrupted the darkness in this world. And so we can live differently. He says in chapter 4, verse 6, It is God who has said, this, sorry, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. This is a quote from, from the beginning of the Bible. Let, light, let there be light, right? And Paul's like, that same creator who spoke light in our universe into being, this same God, the same voice that said that, said something more. What did he do? What did he do? Paul says, the same God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, he has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God who created light has done something so that we might experience that light. So that we might have the knowledge of God's glory. There's a few Greek words that translate into the English word knowledge. The word that Paul uses here is describing this intuitive awareness that you might have. So rather than the knowledge that's gained by a discussion or dialogue with somebody else or an online quiz, this is the kind of knowledge that comes from where you just, you know it, you experience it on an emotional level. It's an intuition. What's an intuition? An intuition is how your emotional brain or your right brain or your deeper brain it's how though your brain responds to the stimuli that's around it. It's the knee-jerk reaction. It's something that happens that operates at a level of six times a second. And so you maybe have experiences with people. Somebody comes into a room and you feel something before you could even put it into words. You feel something. Maybe it's positive. Maybe it's negative. And that something that you feel is based on your emotional memory of experiences you've had in your life. If this is somebody who's been difficult for you, you maybe feel a little bit of stress. Your heart rate maybe goes up a little bit. You maybe feel a little bit anxious. And it's because your brain remembers you were treated poorly by this person. If it's somebody that you know loves you, or if it's somebody that you miss, you feel right away exuberance over being in their presence. You might spontaneously run to them and hug them. Because your brain remembers, this is someone that I really, really like, and I want to be around them. The knowledge that God is trying to impart into us through this glory that he's revealed in the face of Jesus Christ is that intuitive type of knowledge that you feel right away and that governs your knee-jerk reactions to things that are going on around you. Paul is saying that God has displayed his glory in the face of Christ so that we could experience his glory in a way that would imprint in our emotional memories and would begin to govern our responses to the world around us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of 
the nativity, right? That in this moment, a baby is born. And if you can picture that moment in a stable, at probably like most childbirths, there's a period of time where things are a little intense. I've been to three childbirths. They're all pretty intense. Um, But in the moment that the child is born, all of the intensity and all of the anxiety with a healthy birth suddenly goes away. And the room is just full of joy. And you've got these, these even my kids were all born at, at a hospital. And you've got these healthcare workers who, two days ago, I didn't even know them. You know, I mean, the doctor that delivered the kids might have, might have been there uh, for, I, you know, I went to a, a couple of appointments, at least with the first few kids. Um, so I'd met them before. But then suddenly, my kid's born, and I'm like, these are all my best friends. I can't believe it. We're hugging each other. We're high-fiving. We didn't really high-five each other, but, but we, we're inexplicably bound together emotionally for a moment. It's like, I can't believe this beautiful life has happened. And so I imagine the stable scene kind of like that, right? I mean, Joseph's there, and Mary's there, and, you know, the, the, doc, the, the donkey. No, we call him a donkey now. We don't call him an ass anymore because that's inappropriate. Um, but the, 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 maybe the camels are there, whatever it is, whatever's in the, in the, anyhow, the baby's born and there's this moment of overwhelming joy. I imagine when Mary first held baby Jesus and all the pain is suddenly gone and, and then, and then the shepherds are showing up and they've got these crazy stories about angels singing and, and everybody probably feels incredibly bound together in an emotionally moving way. I think that's what God was going for when he, when he said, I'm, I'm, I'm sending my son to earth. I think that's what the son was going for when he said, yes, I'm going to clothe myself in flesh. I'm going to join humanity in living out on a broken and fallen world because I want to feel emotionally bound to them. And I want to make myself available for them to feel emotionally bound to me as they see and experience my life, my face, delighted to be with them. One of the prophets said these words of the Christ coming. It's from the prophet Isaiah. He said, the people that are living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of a shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is my favorite verse for Advent. Um, I just love it. And several years ago, I feel like the Holy Spirit just captivated my heart with this idea that those who are living in darkness would experience a great light. I was downstairs downstairs. doing something at, uh, oh no, it was this morning. It was early this morning. I was downstairs and uh, our dog Luna came downstairs because whenever I go downstairs, she wants to run downstairs because she thinks maybe I'll chase her around the basement. I chase her around the basement so her claws don't scratch up the hardwood floors upstairs. It's a really good move. Um, and uh, she comes running downstairs. She's really excited to play. And I, I just take a few steps to chase her around for a little bit because, you know, I got to get to work. And um, and there's this flashlight sitting on the counter, and it's dark downstairs because it's not light out yet. And I, I grab the flashlight, and I shine it on her face, and it changes everything. She's just like, what is going on? But that's one of the things I love about light in a dark place is because it changes everything. Our candle at service, when everyone's holding a candle and we turn all the lights off, oh, man, it's the holiest moment in the Roxy Theater of the entire year. A great light has shone in our world. The Lord's face is shining upon us. 
Mary holding the baby in a manger, the Lord's face shining upon her, looking up. She's like, look, he's smiling. It's probably just gas, but he's smiling. Eye contact made for the first time in eons. Humanity looking into the face of God. He, his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. We have seen him with our eyes. The author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Scripture says this time and time again, where you fix your eyes on Christ, consider, contemplate the glory of Christ's face. In fact, if you're, if you're struggling with, with uh, just feeling like there's not enough spiritual growth in your life, uh, the uh, 2 Corinthians, a little bit later, I think it's maybe uh, chapter 6, maybe it's chapter 3, I can't remember. Anyhow, 2 Corinthians talks about how uh, we are transformed from glory to glory as we contemplate the glory of the Lord found in Christ Jesus. The question is, what do you see when you're worshiping? What do you see when you're praying? I think oftentimes an invitation to prayer in modern American Christian church life, Im- immediately everyone feels emotionally deflated if they're invited to pray. So emotionally deflated that, I mean, pastors joke all the time. If, if I want to make sure no one comes to a meeting, I just call it a prayer meeting because they won't come to that. I, I would submit to you that we are not seeing the right thing when we think about Prayer. Our emotional memory is not being triggered in the way that God would intend for it to be triggered when we hear the word prayer. If we're not like, oh, yeah, if there's not a spark of delight in our eyes when we go, oh, yeah, someone's inviting us to pray. That sounds great. I can't wait to sit at the feet of the one who loves me and gaze into his face and see delight on him in being with me. What we are meant to see when we think about God, when we look to God, is the face of God shining upon us. We're meant to experience the delight that he has in being with us. And this is the source of joy. This is what we're meant to turn to when we face adversity. Paul says, so that you have hope, so you don't give up. Consider, Jesus is here, he's with us, his face is shining. When the world seems dark, we turn to Christ, we see the light of his face. Maybe we feel his delight, and then we are able to anchor into that a constant source. Through the highs and the lows of our emotional world, we have a constant source of of joy in the midst of trouble. This is something that I think each of us experience that that really we can only work on, even in ourselves, on that that path, um, in that super quiet space in your life, wherever it is that you connect to God. This is one of those things that that there's a lot of responsibility now put on you to say, all right, how do I connect to God? How do I feel that? Um, But there's also an element of this that I really think we get to practice together. Uh, We get to model it together. Um, I talked about an emotional response to prayer, and it can be maybe emotionally deflating. Oh, not going to that. Um, I think the word church uh, can be similar. Uh, and maybe not so much for Christians, but it can be 
It can be similar, especially in our society. You say the word church and people's emotional response is deflated. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because people struggle to sit in church and feel as if people are delighted that they're there. This is where we see that human beings have a real impact on each other. We aren't, it's not good for man to walk alone. And so when we gather as the saints or when you're going around in the world, you know, trying to be the embodiment of God's love to people around you, uh, I really think that there's uh, an authority that's given to us and a responsibility that's given to us to, to show people that God's face is turned towards them and that God's face is shining upon them. And all the more when we're gathered together. Um, you know, as, as believers, we're really trying to embrace the created purposes that God gave us. And so we're really trying to lean into this reality that, that we are, uh, as, as we're called in the New Testament, a kingdom of priests. We're all supposed to be standing in that place between God and humanity and commanding that blessing upon the world around us. Uh, this is why I say it's really changed the way that I see other people. Because uh, for, the, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm able to connect with God on an emotionally deep level that creates that, that almost involuntary, intuitive response to Him where I go, God, I'm delighted to be in Your presence. Um, and that's changed the way that I connect with other people too because I feel like in so many ways I've been able, I'm increasingly able, it's a work in progress, I'm increasingly able to break away from being so task-driven and so uh, performance-driven, and I feel like I'm able to be with people and connect with them on an eye-to-eye level and an emotional level more so than I had before. And hopefully, as I'm turning my face towards people and shining upon them, uh, people are experiencing emotional enrichment themselves. Um, Anyhow, I want to give you a chance to practice this with each other, uh, to practice being the church, to practice lifting one another, delighting in being in one another's company. So we're going to take just a few minutes for some discussion questions. I think we've got a QR code to throw up there. If you scan that with your phone and then you scroll all the way to the bottom, uh, you will see a link to discussion questions, Sunday discussion questions. And uh, there's some some discussion questions there. And then uh, in the meantime, while you're getting your phones all set up, I would just encourage you, look around the room, smile at some people real big, and get yourselves in some groups to talk about this and spend a little bit of time together uh, delighting in each other's presence. And then we'll, we'll finish the service at the Lord's table with another song.